Hello, everyone. This is Ekaterina Howard, SLD's current administrator, and this is our second episode of the SLD's podcast. Today with me are Veronica Demichelis, our SLD podmaster, and Madalena Sanchez-Zampaolo, who has kindly agreed to join us for a Q&A session. Let me present them. Madalena Sanchez-Zampaolo is the owner and chief executive officer of Accessible Translation Solutions. She has over 10 years of experience in the language services industry, having worked as a Spanish and Portuguese to English translator, specializing in life sciences and medicine, as a healthcare interpreter, and as a project manager. She founded her company in 2010, which now has two offices and several project managers. Having grown up in a multilingual household and continuing to study languages throughout her academic career, Madalena has had the opportunity to travel and work outside the, of the United States on several occasions. She holds a bachelor's degree in Spanish from the University of Southern Mississippi and a Master of Arts degree in Spanish with an emphasis in linguistics from the University of Louisville. She is currently serving her second term as a director of the American Translations Association Board of Directors, and she is the chair of ATA's Public Relations Committee. She is also a consultant for the University of Louisville Graduate Certificate in Translation. Veronica de Michelis is a professor in the Translation and Interpretation Program at the Houston Community College, teaching translation technology and SciTech translation. She has an MA in Linguistics and an MBA in Human Resources Management. Thanks to an 18-year-long career with an international oil and gas company, she has hands-on work experience in human resources, communications, and sustainable development. She is an English to Russian freelance translator specializing in human resources, corporate communications, and international development. She serves as a director for professional development of the Houston Interpreters and Translators Association and is the podmaster of the ATA Slavic Languages Division. Thank you for joining. And today we have several questions for Madalena, and they all are about websites. Veronica, would you like to start? Yes, of course. Um, thank you for this wonderful introduction, Ekaterina. And thank you to Madalena for joining us today. Uh, we are very excited to learn more about um, this topic. So the first question is from Eugenia Tietzakalska. She's asking, speaking of blogs, I would really want to know what uh, Madalena thinks about blogs on translator websites, when it's worth, when it's not, and anything else to keep in mind. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I love this question. So, you know, blogging is nothing new these days. However, it's still a very valid form of marketing and educating potential clients. We continue to live in a digital age where people are absorbing content and searching for what they need online. And so, of course, there are several other mediums that are going to make, make up how people consume content in the future, right? Like video, for example. Video is also nothing new. But the trend right now is shifting a lot towards video. Um, for example, in marketing, YouTube and Instagram, Insta Stories are some of the hottest ways to market right now. But my suggestion is for translators and interpreters to really take a look at who their clients are, um, where their clients hang out online, the best ways to reach them, and so forth. It may not be on YouTube, it may not be on Instagram, but it might be um, 
you know, some other form of social media or through their own websites via a blog, for example. So this is one reason why we blog in my business. We found that a lot of our clients are searching for translation and interpreting professionals online. Uh, when we took a look at our analytics from our website, it became obvious to us that the majority of search engine results that were pushing customers to our website were because of our blog. And so this is why I suggest this to translators and interpreters. Uh, when you update a blog regularly, search engines will pick up on this. And while you can certainly attach keywords to a YouTube video, for example, I'm willing to bet that the majority of today's translators and interpreters are not getting referrals through YouTube search results. Most of them are probably being found because of SEO, which is search engine optimization. And um, search engines pick up new content. These often turn up higher in search results. And so if you blog regularly, you have a higher chance of showing up in search engines. And think about that. What other parts of your website are you updating on a regular basis? Usually not that many, right? Uh, so there's no need to update your bio on your website every week, but you could be blogging weekly or you know twice a month even and put out content that shows that you're an expert in your language pairs and so and specializations. So um, I have a blog post called why your translation business needs a blog and in that post I go into a lot more detail about this topic. I think the key to blogging is to post consistent valuable and interesting content. It's, you want to make the reader want to take action. You only have a few seconds to truly impress somebody who visits your website before they move on. So it's important to take care in planning your website and not just your blog, but your entire website. Uh, because once somebody's interested, they're going to stick around and they're going to look at other parts of your website. That includes your blog. And I would suggest always blogging about content that can remain evergreen. And what do I mean by evergreen? Um, what I mean is that the content that you blog about should not become outdated if possible. Uh, this way your professional blog always remains relevant. So anytime that it comes up in a search, whenever people are searching for something um, that they're looking for that might pertain to what you do, uh, your regularly and consistently updated blog will allow you to be boosted in the search engine results. And, and that means that the number of leads that you get could turn into real clients. Um, I would also suggest uh, to Eugenia, I would suggest that for anybody wanting to blog, they should be blogging for their clients on a business-related website. So for example, um, it's important to know who your clients are and what kind of content they'll want to know or read about. If you're consistently blogging for your colleagues, that's great, but your clients won't be interested in reading this content. If you want to blog for your colleagues, I suggest creating a separate website from your business one. Um, my own professional blog, um, the one where I, I just mentioned that I wrote a blog post about why your translation business needs a blog, that one I write for colleagues. Um, I started writing that in January of this year and something I've wanted to do for the past 10 years. But when I first started out, I knew that blogging for my colleagues was not an effective use of my business website, so I didn't do it there. Um, I do think that we need a fresh content to be shared with colleagues in our profession, but I don't believe that mixing content for colleagues and clients on the same blog makes sense from a marketing perspective. Thank you, Madalena. This, um, this is very interesting. And you kind of answered a que follow-up question that I had for you, whether um, it's useful to be um, a guest uh, blogger on 
colleagues' uh, blogs or websites. So thank you for that. Another follow-up question that I thought of as, as you were speaking is, Talking about social media and um, the fact that one would want to share, um, say, a new blog post on, on their social media channels, which social media channels do you think are more appropriate from a professional perspective for translators and interpreters? Uh, say, um, I would think that Instagram, for example, is not useful uh, for professional purposes as LinkedIn or mm -hmm. Facebook or Twitter uh, and with such um, a you know, huge amount of various social media channels available now, which would you advise mm -hmm. to focus on? So that's an interesting question. Um, and I want to go back to your guest blogging question later on. Um, as far as uh, the, the different social media channels, mainly we, we tend to talk about four main channels, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. There are a few others. There's a new one uh, right now that just people are getting into called Vero, I think. Um, I have not heard great things about that yet, but it is very new. And, and um, I wouldn't suggest starting there for sure because it is new. Um, so mainly with Instagram, you know, Instagram is interesting because it has a lot of uh, potential for any type of business in marketing because uh, you can put short video clips on Instagram, you can put images on Instagram, and that's what people are really looking for these days um, when it comes to um, um, consuming content like quickly. But typically, you're not going to find translation and interpreting clients on Instagram. That's not to say that you can't. You certainly could, but you have to know, first of all, if your um, ideal audience and ideal clients are hanging out on Instagram. In my business, we do have an Instagram account simply because we do have clients who have Instagram and we follow them and we comment on, on their posts and we, we like their images and things like that. And, um, but we don't overly use Instagram because, <coughs> excuse me, Instagram is not where the majority of our clients are coming from. Um, but we could take a look at the other ones and I would suggest um, for translators and interpreters to probably focus their efforts on the other three and specifically if you're going to just choose one or two, which is what some people only have time to handle because it can be a lot, I would suggest Twitter and LinkedIn. Facebook is great, but Facebook is a social media channel that often people are going there just to kind of, um, you know, take a break from their day or uh, look for fun content that kind of takes them out of, of the mindset of working and things like that. It's more of a, of a fun hangout type of place. That's not to say that businesses don't use Facebook for marketing. They certainly do. They're, and everybody knows that Facebook is one of the best ways to do marketing. But again, if you think about our profession and our services, unless you have um, targeted Facebook ads or things like that, the chances of you um, finding your clients on Facebook are a little bit slim, but what I could suggest about Facebook, and I can tell you that it has worked for my business, is to post on your own personal um, account, for example, maybe some things that you're working on, or if you write um, blog posts, whether it be for clients or whether it be for your colleagues, share that as well, because the interesting thing about Facebook is that you can still get referrals from people who know you um, your personal connections, friends, other colleagues, uh, people who you're friends with on Facebook, 
will see your posts come up in their newsfeed. And that's a good way of getting referrals. I can tell you that I have several friends who I have not talked to in years just because we don't live in the same places anymore or we don't uh, work in the same places anymore. And they have referred us many times. And I do believe that there is a little bit of power in um, utilizing Facebook consistently, but maybe not as frequently as the others, but consistently so that you are showing up in people's feeds and you're reminding them what you do as a professional. And so this way you can help educate the public a little bit about what you do if they're interested in reading it or if you find something fun to share, people love that. And also you're reminding them that you're there. So the next time they hear somebody that needs a translator or an interpreter or they need something um, similar to what you do, they can refer you. And because you've, um, you're now top of mind with them because you keep showing up in their feed on a consistent basis. So that's a good way to use Facebook. Um, and it doesn't take up a lot of time if you do that. Um, the other one I want to talk about is Twitter a little bit. You know, Twitter is not a channel that I love to use, but it is a channel that works well. Um, you can use Twitter um, to, to find clients. You can use Twitter to... Um, get referrals as well, similarly to Facebook. But again, posting consistently is key. Um, Twitter has remained a great way to share about business topics, um, as well as politics and many other things, but especially in business. Um, so I would suggest posting to Twitter, especially if you are blogging and you want to share your blog posts. Twitter is a great place to do that. Um, it gets the word out quickly and people share things. Um, and then last, I want to talk a little bit about LinkedIn as the fourth main social media channel because uh, LinkedIn, and I, I just posted a blog post about um, how to use LinkedIn as a, an extension of your website for translators and interpreters. LinkedIn has really um, come a long way. It is a professional social media channel. However, it has um, recently um, kind of come more to, to the forefront in the sense of the fact that you can post articles. So if you are a blogger uh, for your business or just generally, if you'd like to share an article or something that you've written, you can go into LinkedIn and share that as an article and it will show up in other people's feeds. You can also post a link to something that you've written about. You can talk about things you're doing in your business and share that. Um, people like to see the behind the scenes types of things, like what you're working on or, um, you know, something interesting that happened to you this week or something funny. It doesn't always have to be serious. People like to, to see lighthearted things as well. Wow. Thank you so much, Madalina. This is uh, brilliant advice. Ekaterina, um, would you like to introduce the second question that we have for Madalina? Oh, sure. Well, it, I feel like it has almost been partially answered. Elizabeth mm -hmm. Adams would like to know whether or not it makes sense to have a client-facing website or a website aimed at colleagues? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is another great question. Um, and I did partially answer it, but I want to go into a little bit more detail for Elizabeth. Um, I would tell Elizabeth that it really depends. If she wants to attract clients for her translation or interpreting business, then she should make her site client-facing. However, if she is looking to provide services or some other type of valuable content to colleagues, then her site should be colleague facing. I often see people making the mistake of trying to use one website to attract two totally different groups. And I always say that whenever we try to please everyone, we end up pleasing no one. Or whenever we try to sell to everyone, we end up selling to no one. 
So um, I would say that the same is true probably for websites too. There's absolutely nothing wrong with creating content for colleagues. In fact, it's something that I've been passionate about doing, obviously. We're having this conversation. Um, but I would say that I've just now started blogging uh, with my professional blog for colleagues. And like I said, we have to know who our readers are. In, we have to understand where they're coming from and we have to speak directly to them. So if we try to do that on one website to two totally different groups, the message that we want to share is probably going to get lost. Uh, one thing to remember when making your website client facing is to avoid the use of any type of industry specific jargon or talking too much about technical aspects of, of what we do in our profession. And I say this because of course we feel that these things are important, right? They certainly are. However, a client doesn't really care what, what type of cat tool uh, you use in your business. Some of them ask, but the majority of direct clients really don't care. They just want to know that they're going to get a quality and a professional translated document back on time. So I would really suggest um, keeping things as clear and simple as possible. We all know that in our profession, a large part of what we do is educating clients and the public about working with professional translators and interpreters. Um, this is also a large part of what I do with the American Translators Association's Public Relations Committee. And the best way to do this is to keep things simple. Um, we do need to advocate for a profession. We need to inform people, but sometimes the best way to do that is to provide amazing content that allows clients to come to their own conclusions. Uh, one of the first blog posts that I wrote for colleagues uh, is also actually being published this coming month in the ATA Chronicle is about how to make translation and interpreting more attractive to clients. And in that post, I summarized several ways to help translators and interpreters attract clients and allow them, the client, to draw their own conclusions in order to make the decision to hire these people as a professional. Um, and something I was thinking about today as I was driving, um, I was thinking, you know, this is an interesting question that Elizabeth poses because uh, it made me think about the fact that we need to educate people without forcing information down their throats because they're coming to us for a reason. And we need to understand the reason behind why they need a translation, the reason behind why they need an interpreter. It's not just because they need to check something off of their list. Now, yes, they may be working for somebody else uh, who says, you know, I need this translation by next week, and they are checking that off of their to-do list. But the reason behind the translation is much larger. Um, we have in the recent past few months, let's see, the past we're in March now, past, um, since the beginning of the year, three months, we've put out several quotes to clients and some of them have come back and said, sorry, this is too expensive or this or that, um, we're not ready uh, or we're going to go a different route. And just this week, three of those clients have come back to us to ask us to work on their project. And it is because we were able to educate them in a way that wasn't forcing information on them. And they came to their own conclusion that they really needed this because they had a much bigger purpose behind just getting a translation. They had a purpose um, to grow or to, you know, reach a new audience. And so they came back to us. And I thought that was very interesting because they all, all three of these happened in the same week. Um, so I would say that don't think you, you're going to lose somebody um, through your website if, if you make it simply client-facing. Clients want good information, they want good content, but keep it simple. Um, and then if you really are passionate about um, informing or 
or providing content for colleagues, I would suggest to Elizabeth or to anybody who wants to do this to create a separate site because it is a separate audience. Great. Thank you so much, Madalena. Um, this was a great answer and I uh, personally also uh, learned a lot from it. Another question is coming from me. I uh, would like to know what's your take on creating a website uh, for uh, for me as a, as a professional. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, there's so many online tools or existing platforms that one can use and quickly learn how to create their own website. Is this uh, a good way of doing that or should we hire a professional to create a website? Because um, as you mentioned just a few minutes ago, we're advocating for our profession mm -hmm. so often and saying that this type of work should be done by a professional in, a, in, in languages, by a professional translator or professional interpreter. So shouldn't we practice what we preach and so hire a professional to create a website that looks um, you know, pleasing to the eye, to the eye and it's uh, streamlined and uh, easy to navigate and, and so on. So uh, what is your opinion on that? Right, right. Yeah, this is a, a really wonderful question, Veronica. Um, so this is one that I thought about sharing on my blog and I still might do that. I haven't done it yet because I have been thinking about this myself as well because it's a very valid question. Um, I am definitely an advocate for hiring a professional to create your website if you have the budget to do so. But let's be honest, not everybody has the budget to do a full website revamp or to create a full website from scratch um, by hiring a professional. And if they do, they may not have the budget to pay somebody to do regular updates after it's been created. So um, that should not keep anybody. I don't think that having a small budget should keep anybody from moving forward and creating a professional website that will hold them over um, until they can hire a professional to do something greater. In my own business, we hired a web designer to create our entire website. We worked with that person for years. Um, our website evolved over the years. Um, but when it came time to make updates to the website on the back end uh, or to fix small things that we found were maybe a mistake or we decided we wanted to change something or we wanted to offer something different, it seemed to take forever to get those items updated because we didn't have control over the back end of the website. Um, there was a lot of coding involved and things like that. So what we chose to do was to move the website over to a different platform. Um, we had a professional move the site for us. So again, I do think that you should work with a professional if you can afford one. We did in the sense that we had the professional move the website for us and to recreate any necessary coding after the move was made. Um, however, we were able to learn the back end this time so easily because of the platform that we chose that now we can make updates whenever we like. Uh, I'm not in favor of taking professional jobs away from troop professionals. However, I am very much in favor of having enough control over your website to be able to make simple updates to understand the analytics enough to see things like how long are people staying on the website? What type of content are they viewing the most? Um, and also to have the ability to create new content without your hands being tied. Uh, we found that our hands were tied and so we needed to make a change. Um, so like I said, my own website has come a long way in the past uh, 10 years. I opened my business in 2010, but even before that I had a website and it was very, very basic in the beginning, but it has evolved. Uh, I remember very well that when I first started, I didn't have the money to pay a professional to do all the things that I needed them to do and so I used a template. And I, you know, I wouldn't be happy with that website today, but it, it was something that worked for me then. So after we uh, 
uh, had enough money coming in to where we could hire a professional designer to do all of it, uh, we did hire a professional designer to do the branding on the website, and we hired a professional to create the website for us that we ended up using for many years. But um, there are some platforms now for which you don't actually need to have a professional design every single aspect of the website, and that's where I'm going with this. You can create a truly beautiful and attractive website that looks really professional and allows you to do the things that you need to do on the back end and make any updates that you want. And you don't have to wait for somebody to do them for you or pay thousands of dollars for something that you may not have in your budget right now. So again, my point with all of this is that you should not sit with your hands tied if you don't have a huge budget for a website. Don't let that stop you. I plan to write some upcoming um, blog posts about the platform that we use in my business and how to create a truly beautiful website. Um, so there's so many translation and interpreting websites that I see that are so, there's just static. They're very static, meaning um, nothing gets changed. They're collecting dust. Um, if you look at them, they look very outdated. This is, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many people in marketing, I believe, this is leaving money on the table. There's no need to be afraid of learning um, how to build a simple but attractive and effective website. I still work with professional designers on our branding and design. Uh, we actually just did a little bit of rebranding recently, um, and we were able to implement a lot of that on the back end of the website without having to pay somebody to do all of that again and wait for them to be available to do it and do coding and this and that because of the platform that we're now using. Um, they even make some of the updates to our website from time to time if there's something that we can't do. So we do hire professionals um, to do different things for the website, and I am very much in favor of that. But I can tell you, if, if you want to take a look, for example, at my professional blog website, it's, it's not the most um, intricate. It has about, I think, four main pages on it. But I designed that myself, and it didn't take that long. And I, I can be very honest with you, it probably takes about a weekend. It's not that difficult if you understand the platform that you need. Um, so we're able to do quite a bit of the platform, uh, to use quite a bit of the platform from the back end now because we've um, learned it and it wasn't that hard to learn. And so I would say um, if you're able to do that, it's worthwhile because you can also be very informed about how other people use your website. So the user, the client, the public, and then you can really see in a deeper level um, what they're looking at, what they're interested in, and you can use that for your own growth and strategy and marketing. Thank you, Madalena, for this amazing advice. It's uh, very reassuring. Uh, and I guess we're out of questions. I don't have any follow-up questions. Uh, what about you, Katerina? Oh, I do, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. So are you going to tell us the name of your um, website? Yeah, so uh, my website is just actually my, my first and last name, my married name, so it wouldn't be too long, but it's still long. Um, it is madalenazampalo.com. I don't know if you have show notes. You can maybe put that in the show notes there. Um, but it's uh, my first name, M-A-D-A-L-E-N-A, Zampalo, Z-A-M-P-A-U-L-O.com. Um, and I blog there. Now I'm blogging there about three or four times a month. I just started this in January, and people are they seem to be interested and, and they're gaining something from it. So it's, it's you know, uh, inspiring me to keep going with that. Yes, we'll absolutely include the link to your website in our show notes. I think our listeners would, uh, would love to visit and, and take a look. 
Great. Thank you. Okay. Are there any other resources, um, um, either from your website or your blog or any other resources that you would like to share with our listeners on this topic? Yeah. So, um, I would like to offer um, your listeners maybe, let's say, two free guides I created uh, with translators and interpreters in mind. The first one is a website design checklist that I made specifically for, for professional translators and interpreters. So it's a comprehensive checklist of key elements to include on your website, and it comes with a bonus planning worksheet, so how to plan out what you want to have on your website and um, how to maybe update it or if you're creating it from scratch. Uh, the second thing that I want to give to your listeners is a step-by-step -step guide to help them plan their blog. Um, this will help them determine who their readers are and how to best reach them with the content that they write. There's a bonus uh, content calendar that walks you through the process of planning your blog posts and scheduling them ahead of time, as well as a checklist that spells out the different elements to remember to do before you publish your blog posts. So if anybody wants to receive these, uh, you can just visit my website um, and scroll down to the bottom and sign up for the email list on the website. I'm going to be sending both of these items out this month to anybody subscribed to the list. So they're free. Uh, as long as you're on the, web, on the email list, you'll receive them in your inbox. Wow, thank you so much. That these are sounds like amazing resources, and um, I'm sure our listeners will be happy to uh, make use of them. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much for finding time for this, Madalena. We really appreciate it. And thank you for the wonderful questions we have received from um, our uh, division members. Thank you to Yekaterina for organizing this. And we'll announce the a new topic for our upcoming episode soon. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to our guest speaker. Thank you. Thank you for coming.